You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 3, Episode 10. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. Well, it is awesome to have you guys back joining me and it's fantastic for me to be back behind this mic. Um, It's amazing. You know, when I think about what goes into producing these episodes and I think it would be really cool to do a live Facebook video Um, kind of showing what happens when I am trying to get these episodes released. And uh, I think many of you know, I don't have this big production team behind me. I've got my, you know, uh, my, my Mackie mixer here and my Heil microphone and, and my, my lovely iMac that I push things out to. And I've got a little Roland digital recorder that records the episodes just because I don't trust my computer to save it and not crash. But there's a lot going into these episodes. And, um, and so when there's a lot going on in the office, sometimes there isn't as much time to get these episodes released. Um, I recorded previously two awesome interviews, uh, one with uh, Jenna Evelyn, and she is the guest that I'll be releasing um, my discussion and my interview with uh, for this episode. And then I've got another one with Hart Kaminker, who is going to discuss some uh, um, of the topics, um, at least some of the more hot topics related to refugee law. And Hart is out in Ontario, and, and Jenna, as I will introduce her shortly when I get on the um when I uh, jump over here to the interview with her, she's based in Quebec. But um, I'll get these interviews done, and then it's another thing to get them actually released, which is can be kind of tricky. Um, why am I saying all of this? Well, I'm saying this because life in my office has been absolutely insane. And I think many of my colleagues across the country are experiencing maybe higher volumes of immigration. I'm not sure what it is. Um, over the years when Alberta was really booming, I did a lot of business immigration and my practice is uh, slowly shifted to probably a little more individual immigration now. And I knew being located in the metropolis of Lethbridge, Alberta, the whopping 100,000 people here, that it was going to be difficult for me to continue practicing immigration, at least business immigration, um, without a connection to a large center. And even then, Alberta has this somewhat perception of not being open to business as much with the cross-border work that I used to do. So when, you know, uh, as, as, uh, as Jeffrey Lowe, one of my colleagues out in Vancouver shared with me, there's this book called, um, who moved my cheese. And, uh, that book really taught me that, look, we can rely on our bread and butter. And, um, and you know, as far as our practices, mine was definitely business immigration, cross-border work. Um, or, um, we can try to diversify. And obviously, in the case of the business immigration, for me, that that cheese, if you will, slowly became eroded. And other people were eating the cheese. And there's lots of pressure from, from consultants and all kinds of different practitioners looking to get a piece of it. 
And, uh, and so over, over time, I was forced to then stretch my practice and do some creative things. Um, it's amazing how adversity, <clears throat> excuse me, will, will force you to do things that you normally would never do. And so what did I do when I saw my practice starting to shrink a little bit with the, you know, with the large uh, accounting firms, the big four accounting firms and other big shops enclosing, you know, into my practice and pushing fees down and all those kinds of things. Um, it forced me to, to, to figure out a way to reach out globally. And one of the ways that I did it was this podcast. And uh, it's been now, I think, about three years since I've been dabbling with this, um, this little critter here. And it has done wonders for getting profile out there for me and, and helping people to find me. And um, the success of this podcast has really come because of the awesome guests that I invite and obviously, when they come and join me, then I, I plug the heck out of their practices. And and I would encourage you strongly in this one to check out Jen Evelyn and, and her firm, um, BB Immigration. Uh, if you are destined to Quebec, um, a great a great firm. And, and Jen is just a really, really good person. And that's one of the prerequisites that I have. The guests that I have to come on, uh, I you know, they really need to be good people and and practicing in the right way. And and I'd love to promote them. And so there's this synergy that's going on. And uh, but over the last little while, and I know I'm kind of rambling on a little bit. And sometimes this is therapeutic for me. Um, uh, it's been really tough in my practice, and I've discovered that I really liked the 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 one to one contact with my clients. And so there was a time when I had, you know, eight employees, actually probably more for just my little office. I was the one lawyer and I had all these people underneath me. But I realized that, that you know, um, as, as my practice went on, that I developed efficiencies where I just didn't need as many people. Um, technology came in to help provide assistance. Um, and uh, I literally, I shrunk my office all the way down to two people. And so, and well, not two, I shouldn't say two, I've got two support staff and then I've got a full firm that also supports me. But, you know, I, it's a small little operation. And, uh, and I did that because, um, well, one, I had to adapt with the changing market. And two, it's allowed me to have more one-to-one interaction with my clients, to be, you know, to be really connected with them and, uh, and a part of the whole process. And that's one of the models that I've chosen um, to pursue. But there are problems with that model too. And one of them is if an employee is no longer with your firm. So when you ha- are relying on people that um, to support you and to, uh, to get the work done, when one decides to leave, <laughs> then it causes a lot of challenge and stress. And uh, those of you who practice immigration as it is right now know that the practice generally has become a lot more difficult. And the consequences of mistakes become that much more magnified. And when I say mistakes, even the slightest little thing can result in an application being returned. And when we have clients that have deadlines and there are ripple effects that flow from um, one application to another, in other words, a person's status in Canada really needs this work permit to go through. And if it gets returned, then they're out of status. Or in the case of express entry, which has become a very large part of my practice now globally, um, they're ruthless. Immigration is absolutely ruthless and cruel. And so one thing that we've really um, prided our office in over the last, I guess it's three plus years, almost four now of express entry, 
is that we do not make mistakes. You know, we go through forensically everything and um, and it became really a point of pride for me. Now, I shouldn't say we don't make mistakes because in the early days of Express Entry, um, there was some miscommunication, we'll describe it as, as to the extent to which you actually needed police clearances to be uploaded at the beginning stages. And we received some instruction that they were going to be reasonable. And if you didn't have the police clearance right there, right then, when you're ready to file your EAPR, that uh, they would accept it and allow you to submit it later. Well, lo and behold, we got applications returned for being incomplete. And so we had to modify our practices within our office and do all that we could to try to um, eliminate any potential for error. So for years, at least the last three plus years, we've had a phenomenal track record in my office until just recently. And this is where the stress comes in. And this is kind of what I want to talk about a little bit at the intro to this podcast before we get into the interview with Jenna. But the practice of immigration law is unbelievably stressful. And so in the case just recently with our office, and I love my podcast because I can talk and say whatever I want. I don't have to worry about anything. Well, the reality is we, uh, in the course of uploading documents to Express Entry and to the portal, everybody knows once you've uploaded them, you can't click on them to view them and see what's up there. Well, in the in the case of uh, one of our, our, uh, our clients, we had prepared an application and we had filed it and everything looked wonderful like it has the many, many, many times previously. And then just about a week and a half ago, I got this lovely notification that the application was being returned. And why was it being returned? It was being returned because we had uploaded a black and white copy of a German police clearance instead of a color copy of the original. That was it. And because of that, my client's application got returned. And now fortunately, it wasn't the end of the world. And uh, there was definitely an inconvenience for my client. But we were able to repost it. Uh, I should say re- refile the profile. And you know, and then she, she would definitely be given another ITA and we would go forward. But the consequences for these little mistakes make our practice extremely stressful. And uh, what are our clients paying us for? They're not paying us to fill out forms. They're paying us to get peace of mind. And so, um, how, you know, their peace of mind comes because we take their stress and we put it upon us. So with all of that being said, <laughs> I'm now in the situation where I am looking to replace a paralegal. <laughs> and, uh, and so those of you who are listening to this podcast, if uh, the, the position is still open. So if anyone has got experience as an immigration paralegal and would love to move to the wonderful province of uh, Alberta and to the fine city of Lethbridge, um, I would be more than delighted to receive a resume from them. <laughs> so you can send it to uh, hr um, at stringham.ca. Uh, and that should, uh, if you're interested, um, and I'm open to whoever. If you've got some experience <clears throat> down here in Lethbridge, beggars can't be choosers. It's not like I've got a whole bunch of other immigration boutique firms around me that I can lure away one of their employees <clears throat> excuse me, to come work in our off- our awesome little, little little office here with me and Billy. But um, usually I have to train from the ground up. So anyway, so that's kind of what we've been facing lately. And uh, it's it really sucks. You know, um, when you have uh, such an 
a phenomenal track record to then have this happen. And so, um, yes. So Mark is feeling unbelievably stressed and I am ready for the wonderful Christmas season to be upon us and uh, just to be able to disconnect and step aside and just remember the reason for this season. And for me, um, I think many people know I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And Christmas to me is about Christ. It's about the Savior. And uh, and to be able to disconnect from my office and just, and my phone and all the technology and just completely push it aside, all of the distractions, and just remember, you know, remember the birth of, of, of the Savior and uh, and just focus on family and friends and just giving and just just the the beauty of humanity essentially and so i uh, i'm i'm really really looking forward to that in a couple weeks here and in the interim in order to make that happen mark is going to be spending an unbelievable amount of time working late as i am right now on a a, a lovely saturday evening here um, I'm going to finish up this episode and then race home and we're going to be setting up our Christmas tree and decorating it. My wife and my two children that are home. The other two, um, Jessica and Adam, are off serving their missions for our church. Jessica's in Indiana and Adam is down in Suriname, uh, a, a country I didn't even know really existed <laughs> until he was received his mission call to go serve there. But um, yeah, he's speaking Dutch there, which is interesting as well. And I'm sure many of you people know where Suriname is, but uh, geographically, that one was not on my radar. So we're, we're a happy family of, of uh, two, two kids at home right now and looking forward to setting up that Christmas tree and decorating it, which is a family tradition for us. So my wish for all of you wonderful, wonderful immigration lawyers out there um, this holiday season and and whatever your faith is or, 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 or your, your belief system or whatever, that you're able to get time away to recharge, to reconnect, to just refresh yourself for a brand new 2019. And there's a lot coming down the pipe. And uh, I just got back from our National Executive Committee meetings in, in Ottawa. I have the, pl- the pleasure and privilege of serving as a secretary um, on our National Immigration Executive. And it's I'll tell you, coming back from Ottawa, I am so, so happy about the direction things are going. The meetings were wonderfully collaborative, and uh, and I've got a lot of really, really high hopes and aspirations for, for what's going to be coming up here in 2019, some exciting stuff. Um, but uh, with that all being said, um, I hope that all of you guys are just able to get away and just have a little bit of time and uh, spend time with your families and your friends and those who are important to you and uh, and just come back recharged, ready to, to make the world of Canadian immigration a better place for our clients and, and, and for the country generally. So very cool. I thought I would just um, <laughs> share, share a little bit of what was going on in my life right now. And uh, yes, is Mark overwhelmed and overloaded? Yes, I am. Um, and somehow I managed to agree to coach my children's indoor track doing the jumps <laughs> as well. So, so that and uh, serving in my church and um, running the office here and uh, being on the national executive and recently starting a BNI group here in Lethbridge, which is also really cool, Business Networking International, uh, just to help 
you know, reconnect with um, some of the businesses here in, in town and, and uh, collectively work at networking. I don't know if any of you are also in uh, members of BNI groups across the country, but it's pretty cool. So all of these things are all going all at the same time and Mark is ready for a break. But without all of that, um, you know, when we're put into what I call the refiner's fire or where there's a little bit of adversity, we have a choice. We can go home, uh, pull the covers over our heads and, uh, and just cry. <laughs> or we can take stock of where we're at, figure out what's truly important in our lives and just tackle it head on. And I think adversity, <clears throat> yes, can be a challenge and it can really have a crushing impact on us. But I think also if we, if we just figure out what our priorities are, what our true kind of life mission is and, and have that focus and direction, then we're in a much better position to be able to organize what's really important, what really deserves our full attention and, uh, and, and grow to, and rise to the occasion. And so there's a lot going on, but, um, I, I think that, uh, I'm capable of meeting the demands like all of us are. And, uh, I am going to take a little bit of time away, enjoy some time with the family and then jump back in and, uh, and give her just like, just like I always do. And like, I'm sure all of you do too. So with that being said, and I'm sure I'll probably release one more episode before Christmas here, because like, uh, I've got Hart Kaminker's, um, episode that I need to release, um, on the refugee, um, uh, the, the refugee topic. Um, and that will be the next episode. But, uh, for, for now, if I, um, yeah, I think, I, I think, I've probably spent sufficient time telling you and using all of you guys as my <laughs> as my my therapists as as I go through this exercise of introspection and uh and uh just realization that life can be tough but it's worth it. So, go forward my fellow immigration lawyers and uh and keep doing all of the amazing good things that you do. I am unbelievably proud to be an immigration lawyer in Canada. I think our Canadian Bar Association and all of you that are uh, among the ranks of, of the CBA immigration section are awesome. And the contributions you make are phenomenal. And uh, I can tell you that our executive committee with Marina Sadai, um, BJ Crusoe, who is our past chair, um, Roxanne Israel and Ravi Jane are phenomenal people. And I definitely do not feel uh, worthy to be a part of their company. I'm definitely a lightweight when I when I look at all of the cool, wonderful things that they're doing. But the reality is, everyone, um, the CBA is in good hands. And when it comes to the well-being of immigration across the country, um, the, the immigration lawyers and the ranks of us immigration lawyers are being well represented uh, because of these awesome, awesome lawyers at the helm. Um, absent me. Maybe I'll figure it out one day, but right now I'm just <laughs> taking notes and, and trying to absorb it all. Okay, wow. Those of you who are still listening to this episode, um, I guess I could say I'm sorry, <laughs> but I just needed to share. I needed to tell you what was going on. And uh, as we cross over just about the 19 minute mark of this episode, I think I'm going to maybe post in the show notes that you can just skip ahead to 19 minutes uh, and ignore Mark's blithering on. But uh, those of you who stuck with me, thank you. This one will be well worth it. Um, those who are interested in doing anything that, partic- that um, pertains to Quebec immigration, uh, this is a good little overview of, um, of the world of, of Quebec immigration. So without further ado, 
I am now going to shift over to my uh, interview with Jenna Evelyn. Well, I'm here with uh, Jenna Evelyn, who practices immigration law with the firm of BB Immigration. Uh, she works from a small little border city of St. Georges de Beauce in Quebec. How are you, Jenna? I'm fine. Thanks, Mark. So you originally started in Ontario, and, uh, and then you um, spent a little bit of time in, in New Brunswick as well uh, before joining BB Immigration. Is that correct? Well, you know, I actually, I, I'm born in Ontario, but I started practicing law in New Brunswick, which is where I did my degree. And then after four years, I moved to Ontario, went back home and practiced for four years there in Toronto. None, none of this was in immigration. This is all civil, civil litigator I was doing. Yes. And, uh, and then when I moved to Quebec, um, I had to refocus a bit and, uh, and started immigration when I got my license to practice out here. Gotcha. So you completed a master's um, of law in, at Laval. And uh, you mm-hmm. had a research focus on immigration law. Talk about that. That's right. Well, it, it actually wasn't my plan at the beginning. When I first uh, decided to do the master's program at Laval, I was going to be uh, studying um, child protection. But uh, I was doing a, it was a course, it was half coursework and half uh, um, research and writing. And so the, some of the courses that were offered that year happened to be in immigration. And I just, I loved it. And so I decided to sort of uh, splice the two the two focus areas, and so I did uh, my, my, my research on separated children, which deals with child protection as well as immigration, so it's kids that arrive at the border, uh, Canada's borders, without their parents or are separated with their, from their parents at the border, and so I was able to, uh, to really get into some of the child protection issues and the immigration issues that are involved. Wow. And you also run uh, an immigration legal clinic, don't you? That's right. I, uh, as soon as I got my license to practice in Quebec, which was um, an unpleasant process at, <laughs> at best. Um, but once I got it, I, I knew that I wanted to um, do clinic work because it's something that I, I love doing in Ontario and I, there's not enough uh, legal clinic access in, in my region. And so it was it was fairly simple to set up once I had a, um, I have a, a local church that, that offered um, a space to meet with people. And uh, every month we have a, a clinic where basically it's, it's free consultations where people can come and ask questions about their immigration situation or the immigration situation of a friend or relative. And, um, and they just get uh, the information and the procedures and the forms and all of that. But we don't do representation because I just don't have the capacity. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. I know uh, legal clinics are definitely something that uh, are lacking in many, many provinces across the country. So that's awesome that you're doing that. I think that's really cool. All right, so we've kind of talked a little bit about it, but uh, so you just kind of fell into immigration. You uh... well, <laughs> I, I guess what I'll say is I so I was a, a, a litigator for years and I, I loved it, but it's a stressful it's a stressful job. Um, and when I moved to Ontario, I was doing a lot of insurance litigation, which I mean, it's Ooh, exciting. that sounds so but, fun and it, engaging well, and <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. It just, it's a little soul sucking at times. <laughs> exactly. That's how I would describe it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wanted to refocus and it wasn't easy to do because the firm that I was working with, that's all they did. And so I decided to take a year off. I went and did some, um, some volunteering and legal work in, in uh, Congo and Ghana for a year. And then I went, um, when I came back. Oh, I I'm going to stop you right there. Uh, you've got to tell us about that experience. So how did you end up going out there? Well, you know, I was looking for, 
opportunities to volunteer, but in my field. Like I didn't want to just go anywhere and do anything. I really wanted to use my my legal skills to be of, of use. And I knew that it, it was possible. So I just started doing research online for different opportunities. And I saw that um, that what was uh, then called CEDA was uh, the Canadian International Development Agency was sending lawyers to do different projects in, in different countries. And one of the projects they were doing was in Ghana at the time. They wanted to do research on uh, economic violence against women and uh, and how it's dealt with, with the court in the courts there. And so uh, they sent me off there to do that research. It was, it was six months. Um, five of which were completely unproductive because nobody wanted, like, no, I, you know, I, I would go to court every day to try and get documents, try and get uh, decisions. And, you know, without, if, if you're not willing to pay the bribes associated sometimes, I, you just uh, couldn't get anything done. <laughs> oh, wow. But, uh, but eventually I was able to get some support from local lawyers um, to get the, the, the information that I needed so I could do the interviews, get the research, do the paper, and basically report on how, um, Unfortunately, women at the, at the time that I was there, which was in 2013, um, they had a huge problem with the law. The, I mean, the law was great. The, the, the laws on the books were great there, but the actual application in the field wasn't happening. Left and something so, to be desired. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was interesting work, but it was frustrating to see how much money and time was wasted because of your, uh, you know, uh, just problems in the bureaucracy and 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 the need to uh, corruption really i guess is the long short of it wow that's wow that must so you were there for how long i was there for six months and then i was supposed to come back home at that point but i ended up getting um in touch with an organization in the uh, democratic republic of congo that was doing work with um sexual violence survivors in uh on the border with uh rwanda and so i I went there to go basically help them with, uh, mostly I was doing more administrative uh, legal work, basically helping the organizations to get the authorizations they needed to be to, to be able to receive charitable donations and such. But every so often I would be able to help as well with uh, some of the legal issues on the ground with the, pe- with the people who were uh, actually the victims of these, uh, these horrific crimes and trying to help them get uh, restorative justice. So it was really fascinating. Actually, much preferred my time in Congo just because it was more, I felt like I was of more use than I, than the work I was doing in Ghana. Wow. That is so cool. I had no idea that you, uh, you had done this. See, see, Jenna is very modest. You know, when I looked at her bio and what she gave me, some people are, they love to extol their virtues, but, um, the, the reality is this is really, really neat. I am so glad that you, uh, have come to join me on the podcast. And one of the purposes of doing this is to give, um, other immigration lawyers, uh, a platform where we can, you know, share what they're doing and, you know, especially the lawyers that are doing things the right way. And I can clearly see that you are. So this is awesome. I'm really, really happy to have you. Thanks, All Mark. right. Well, let's jump to our topic, which, uh, I guess recently here, the uh, Quebec immigration program has undergone somewhat of an overhaul. That's right. <laughs> And it's a bit a bit, bit a bit rocky, but uh, but overall, the, I think the changes are really quite positive. So I'm excited to share them with your listeners today. Perfect. So what I understand what we're going to talk about here today is a little bit about the changes that have occurred within the temporary foreign worker program, uh, the skilled worker program, and and finally the Quebec Experience program. So why don't we start with the temporary foreign worker program? What what's changed recently? Sure. The, the changes there are minor because, as you know, Mark, uh, the Temporary Foreign Worker Program is mostly controlled by the federal uh, branch of the yes. government. Um, but there's a couple of things that, uh, because Quebec likes to add its own little flavor to everything, uh, 
uh, everything immigration. Uh, there's a bit of uh, some bureaucratic uh, difficulties that we've run into with the new changes. So, for instance, um, when you come to Quebec under the Temporary Foreign Worker Program, you need to go through an extra step, which is the application for a certificate of uh, temporary selection in Quebec. And that process has slightly changed. So, basically, um, b before... Um, we were able to submit uh, um, diplomas and, and CVs and, and you know the necessary documents to get that done. But now they're also asking our our candidates to submit certificates from their their um, former employers that they did indeed work there for the time that they said that they did and for the amount of, of money that they said that they earned and doing the tasks that they said that they did. Um, and while that might not seem like such a big deal, it's it's causing a lot of difficulties for a lot of people because, for instance, as you know, Mark, the the the, uh, the processing times for temporary foreign worker program for um, LMIAs is quite long. Yeah, they're they're getting into um, oh quite <laughs> quite lengthy. Uh, protracted, uh, yeah, times that are causing exactly. lots of grief for our clients. And when people need, uh, you know, when companies need to bring people in quickly, that is definitely not the route to go. Exactly. And so when I'm telling clients, okay, you know, we'll get this LMA uh, application out, but it's going to take, you know, half a year before you're, you're actually here working. They don't want to go to their employer and say, I'd like to get a certificate of you know, of, of, of that proves how long I've been working for you when they know they've got to work there another six months. They risk losing their jobs. Oh, I know. Yeah, that's that's brutal. And we see that a lot too within our uh, the express entry uh, system um, wow. generally all over the world where, you know, individuals need to provide reference letters from their current employers and it's almost the identical situation and they're very detailed and it's kind of hard to say, hey, I just need a reference letter for work and then they say, well, why? <laughs> and then the person has to... Uh, either figure out, okay, do I tell them the truth that I'm actually going to be leaving as soon as I get permanent residence or, you know, it can be really mm -hmm. quite challenging. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's one of the challenges we're working on. But the, the ministry, the Quebec Immigration Ministry, which is called the MIDI, so uh, I'll refer to the MIDI a few times uh, in our discussion. It's the Quebec branch of the immigration, uh, the immigration branch of the Quebec uh, government. They have said that, uh, because there's been such pushback on this, uh, this new policy, they've said that if for some reason the, uh, the candidate, it, it's impossible for them to get the certificate from their employer, they will accept other documents, but they have to show proof of why it was impossible to get this document. And we don't know what, what the criteria are to prove that it was impossible. So Well, that's easy. You just get out. a letter from the employer saying, I'm not going to provide a letter. <laughs> Exactly. So we shall see. We'll have to experiment with that a bit. But that's one uh, one change we were a little disappointed about. Um, the other change, um, I don't know. I know that uh, your last guest, you talked about the Quebec um, programs. I think yes. Gene Geneviève, Geneviève. I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she had mentioned that we have the, um, the Quebec Simplified Procedure for LMIAs. And basically how it works is that we every year there's a, a list of professions that, that is published that for those professions... If you're looking to hire a worker in those professions, you can go through a simplified procedure to get your LMIA. And at the time, back in the heyday, which was, you know, all of just up to last year even, um, it was great because if you were hiring someone on, the, on that list, which is a list of professions where we know there's a, a huge shortage in Quebec, there's no question about it. They've said you don't have to advertise the position. 
you don't have to in 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 your first application apply for a uh, or rather include a transition plan and we got expedited processing so we'd have our lmia within you know sometimes four six eight ten weeks which is great um but unfortunately with the i'm not sure if it's related to the changes in the quebec programs but uh like you've mentioned mark the the wait times for lmias in general are ridiculous and our wait times for the simplified procedure have now been mixed in with all the rest. So now we don't have that fantastic option of saying, oh, you're going to hire a welder? Okay, you can use this procedure and get them in, you know, when you need them. Now we're saying, oh, it's going to be, uh, the wait times now as of uh, this week are 20 to 24 weeks for a processing of an LMIA application for us here in Quebec. And so it's, uh, that's been a change and we don't know why and it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> You know that's interesting. That's that's something I'm going to probably um, learn a little bit more about at our uh, our CBA uh, executive meetings in Ottawa here in wow. a couple of weeks. But that yeah, the issue with the processing times obviously is attributed to some extent at the federal level with uh, changes that they've made to their internal um, software. You know what they use mm -hmm. to track and issue uh, LMIAs. So I wonder what the spillover is if it's if it's you know they're somehow connected. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> exactly. So I'm hoping that they'll get that straightened out because it, the, the whole simplified procedure is, is pointless if it still takes just as long to get your LMIA. Agreed. Basically, the only yeah. advantage now in Quebec to the simplified procedure is that you don't have to advertise, which that's great, but it's not it's not enough to make it a, a, an attractive program. Yeah, I agree. So anything more with the temporary foreign worker program you wanted to? That's it for the temporary foreign worker program. Okay, well, why don't we shift then to the skilled worker program? Okay, here's where there's been some major, major changes. <laughs> and uh, they're still getting worked out. This, uh, um, the, the, the acts and regulations changed in August, and everyone was expecting to, to have uh, access to the new systems at that time. But it took a while for things to get up and running, as usual with the government. But basically what we have now is a new system uh, called the Declaration of Interest, which is um, that's the, the actual... Um, thing that the worker will be submitting to the government, and they submit it using the platform that's called ARIMA, A-R-R-I-M-A. It's an online platform uh, that had a lot of bugs when it first came out, but it sounds like it's it's working better now. I, we don't do a lot of, of submissions with ARIMA because it's it's something that's very easy to do for the for the clients, so we haven't had to uh, muck around in there too much, but I, I'm hearing that it's it's back up and running the way it should be. And in some ways... This new system is very similar to Express Entry, but in other ways, it's frustratingly different. So I thought I would uh, highlight some of those, uh, those new things. Basically, people who want to immigrate to Quebec can submit their profile as their declaration of interest. And eventually, the ministry theoretically will issue invitations to those profiles it finds interesting. Um, eventually, the portal will also allow Quebec employers to express their interest in hiring candidates in the pool and um, can, they can submit a, jo a validated job offer to those candidates in the pool uh, that they find interesting. Um, of course, you know, once your profile's in the pool, it's no good if it just stays there. So the invitation system is, is, is of most interest, but that's where everything seems to be a bit shrouded in secrecy. Um, hypothetically speaking, the MIDI has indicated that it will continually invite candidates it finds interesting to then apply for a certificate of permanent selection, which is basically the the way that one applies for permanent residency in Quebec. So, so we're not supposed to have any more a first come first serve application process, which is which was really bogging down the system. 
for the longest time for skilled workers is now going to be based on how well the MIDI likes the profile sitting in the pool. But, but, at, this, them, but at this stage, it's not entirely clear um, what makes someone attractive. <laughs> well, that's the problem. They have, they have published the, the criteria, but it's not clear how they're going to issue invitations. Basically, what they've said is that they're going to select those profiles that best fit Quebec's needs in terms of social professional qualities like knowledge of French, work experience, experience working in Quebec, and field of training. Extra points are going to be awarded for things like having a job offer in a region that's outside of Montreal. Uh, my, my region, uh, by the way, has the has one of the highest uh, point allocations awarded to it because we have such a high unemployment, uh, low unemployment rate, rather, of uh, under three percent. So we're crying for foreigners to come into our region. Oh, wow! So, uh, for all of you listeners, start applying for jobs in the region of Chaudière-Appalaches. It, it's uh, it, in, in the both. It's a great uh, great job opportunities with employers who are ready to consider foreign candidates. Hey, hey, there's a plug. That's awesome. <laughs> I can give you the the website for uh, uh, in, if you if you want yeah, to put it in your notes. Yeah, please do. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so there's this points for getting a job offer outside of Quebec, outside of Montreal rather. Um, but here's where there's the huge difference between express entry and uh, Quebec's new Arima system. We have no idea how or when the selection will take place. <sighs> we can see the point system, but the MIDI has made it clear that it wants to give itself the freedom to weigh the applications differently depending on its objectives of the day. So we know that there is going to be two types of invitation rounds. One will be specific and the other will be regular, but the, the details are, are cloudy. The specific rounds will be when the ministry decides, for instance, to, in, to issue invitations to, to add extra weight to profiles that have either like a val validated job offer in the region outside of M Montreal, or for those who are already in Quebec, or for those who have uh, work experience. Um, we know they're going to be issuing specific rounds for those, and, they, and those will take place quite frequently. But the regular rounds, which are for those who do not currently live in Quebec, but whose profiles might be beneficial to Quebec, we really don't know how they're going to do it. Uh, the ministry has made it clear that they're not going to make public the level of points it will take to get an invitation. Um, and the system is not like express entry then, where all the applicants in the pool can assess themselves against the rest of the applicants if they know their score, because there is no minimum cutoff that will be used to issue invitations like with express entry. So it's got a lot of uncertainty uncertainty associated with it, and it's creating a lot of anxiety amongst people trying to use it, especially if they're used to the express entry system. Wow. That's all I've got to say about that is wow. <laughs> <laughs> but on a positive note, um, they have one, one huge change is that validated job offers at NOC level C and D are now acceptable. Oh, neat. So, yeah. Candidates who have jobs at, at these levels, any level, can apply for permanent residency based on if the, if the job is validated, they can, they're good to go. So that's very, very exciting. You know, it's interesting. There, there really are not too many provinces that have those types of programs. Alberta has our Alberta Opportunity Stream, which also dips down into the, into the C's and D's based on some specific parameters. But um, yeah, and, and clearly that's a reflection of the job market and, and that things are starting to open up a little bit. Mm-hmm. No, oh, it's interesting, and it's nice because uh, actually we can. Th that's basically the the overview of the the skilled worker program, the regular skilled worker program. Those are the big changes. It's this new system. It's a bit of a, uh, you know, it's a bit uncertain, a bit cloudy, but people are able to go. Even now, you can just type Arima in Google. It'll take you right to the site. You can input your information and 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 wait to be selected uh, from the from the pool. But we really have no. I I keep getting calls from clients saying, when are they going to select us from the pool? When will we know what's going on with the pool? We really don't know. <laughs> We're, you know, we have to, 
we have to test the system out. It's new, but it's it's promising, and the MIDI is is uh, based on the the slowness with respect to with respect to which they're treating other applications. I assume they're allocating a lot of resources to trying to get the Arima system up and off the up and running. And so, I I am optimistic that it will really help to uh, change the. The perception that we have right now overseas that, uh, the, that Quebec doesn't care about bringing immigrants in. Huh. Interesting. Well, that's great. Okay. Well, um, are we ready to shift to the Quebec Experience Program? Hmm. So here we have a lot of positive, well, one big positive change. Um, again, before, workers at uh, NOC level OA and B, uh, the way it worked was that they could apply for uh, selection for permanent residency after one year of work experience if Quebec, in Quebec if their French was at a level of uh, advanced, advanced intermediate. Um, and so that's basically the, the uh, experience program for workers. For students, um, it's any student who's graduated from a post-secondary program, um, most post-secondary programs of at least 1,800 hours in Quebec at a designated learning institution, they can apply to be selected for permanent residency, if they're, again, if their French is at a level of uh, advanced intermediate, and so this this program is very heavily used because, uh, especially by the the graduates, because it, it's just automatic. Uh, you don't have to wait to get your, you know, your your um, work permit and try and, and get in as a skilled worker. It's it's really, it's a very attractive program, and we do a lot of work with that at our office. Um, but one of the big changes that we're very excited about is that now. Um, all not codes are eligible. So that means again that no matter what your job is, if you've had if you've worked in Quebec for a year and if your French level is where it needs to be, then you're eligible to apply. No matter what your job is, which it opens up huge doors for um, for well basically anyone who uh, wow. who's who's here working and it's because we have such a huge problem with uh, low workforce and and low levels of uh, um, well, people available and willing to to, yes. uh, to take jobs, especially in the regions. And so the, the government said, okay, we're going to open the doors and, and they can, as long as they have a job and they, and they're, they're going to, you know, it's a permanent job offer. They're ready. You know, it's, it's for them, it's, it's because we need them. Wow. So that's a huge change. Yeah, that is. Um, the other thing that's quite exciting. One second here. Let's make sure that I've got the. Yes, exactly. So the other thing that they've done is they've opened it up to holders of open work permits. So basically, uh, before in the old system, if a couple wanted to apply for permanent residency after living in Quebec for a while and working in Quebec, but the skilled worker didn't have the French level necessary, but his partner did, or his or her partner did, uh, they wouldn't have been able to apply because it had to be the skilled worker with the closed work permit that... uh, that uh, had the French level necessary to apply. But now they're saying if you have an open work permit, which is someone, usually a, a spouse or a, a partner of someone who's come as a skilled worker or as a student, the, will be issued an open work permit so they can work while they're with their partner here in, in, in Quebec, that person can now be the principal applicant for permanent residency. So that means, for instance, let's uh, give a, a very current example here, in, in my region of the Beauce, we have a lot of workers coming in from uh, Latin American countries. I work a lot with um, Nicaraguans in, in our region. And so oftentimes we'll have a Nicaraguan who will come here to uh, work in uh, manufacturing. And they work hard, they work a lot of hours, and they don't always have the time to attend the French courses that are provided by our, uh, by our government. They're free, but they don't always have the time, and a lot of people don't have any French experience. However, the spouse that comes with them 
uh, will be issued an open work permit. And sometimes they have a little more freedom. If they're working, for instance, a, a regular nine to five job, they might be able to attend French classes at night. And oftentimes their French level will get up to where it needs to be before their partner. And so now after that, once they've reached that level, if, you, if they want, if they've, if they've got that work experience, they can now uh, be the principal applicant and apply for permanent residency, which, which opens up a lot of doors for people and, and, and is reducing a lot of stress for people who otherwise are having difficulty getting their French where it needs to be. So one question I do have is, obviously you've mentioned the fact that you work with a number of people that are coming through making refugee claims who then are subsequently issued open work permits. I have to presume that they are not eligible. Ah, now, you know, actually, I don't work a lot with refugees. Okay. And that is a good question. I do not have, I, I, I don't have anything in my, in my notes here from, uh, from the changes in, in the regulation. There's nothing that would prohibit it. All hmm. it says is that open work permit holders are eligible, but I don't want to answer that question. Yeah, any no. <laughs> yeah, no, that, having... I understand. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting question. Like in most provinces, they're, they're specifically precluded. Um, so I wonder, that's interesting. You know what, Mark? I would be happy to just double check that after our interview and put uh, give you the information to sure. put in the notes. We, if you'd yeah, like. absolutely. We can totally do that. Well, that's perfect. So, so any anything else that you you want to share? Well, those are the big things for those particular programs. We also had some big changes for um, some of the other programs that maybe aren't as uh, they're a little less popular. But we we have changes to the uh, entrepreneurship program and the self-employed program, the investors program. Even the refugee programs, they've all overhauled. And um, I can give you a, a basic overview of some of the changes if you'd like, or I, we can, I don't know if your, your, your listeners are, would be interested in those, kind, in those types of yeah, programs. Yeah, sure, sure. Why don't you do that? Just give us a little high-level snapshot, and then we can maybe invite you back to talk about some of the other programs and the changes in more detail. Sure. Well, basically, the entrepreneur program, um, what we've got now is uh, two streams. So we've got... Um, uh, the creation of uh, innovate, innovative enterprises and uh, stream that uses incubators, accelerators, and um, entrepreneurial centers. Uh, we've got the stream for creation of an acquisition of small and medium enterprises. So this is a, a program that's they're they're trying to um, improve it because we have a huge problem in Quebec with businesses that, um, especially small and medium small, small to medium sized businesses where. The person who runs it is now getting older, is looking for someone to take over, but there's nobody, he can't find it, he or she can't find anybody to take over the business and, and keep running it. And so a lot of businesses are just closing down, which is a real shame. And so um, trying and having programs available where foreigners who have the know-how and the money to invest and to, and to get into business that way um, is, is, uh, is, is the idea behind uh, improving these programs. We've got self-employed programs, which allows independent professionals to set up shop in Quebec, basically to practice their profession or set up their commercial activities. Um, there, uh, certain uh, qualifications, for instance, would be you need to provide a guarantee to ensure that you actually establish the practice that you indicated. So basically, you have to pay in uh, $25,000 if you're going to practice outside of Montreal or $50,000 if you're going to practice inside Montreal to uh, guarantee that you're actually going to practice the profession that you applied under. Uh, we've got changes to the investors program, which is quite popular because it's one of the only investor programs that's um, constantly available for uh, investors. And what they've done is they've increased the amounts that are, are needed uh, to invest. So before it was $800,000, you would have to invest in Quebec in order to, to use this program. Now it's $1.2 million. 
um, and the amount of uh, funds that you would need to have to show that you have access to um, has been increased from 1.6 million to 2 million. So those figures have increased to try and, and, and stay current with uh, inflation and changes in the economy and such. And then uh, the refugee program has, has uh, also been changed slightly to basically, um, there's a lot of changes have a lot of um, goals in, involved in them, but one of the ones that I particularly noted that I found was interesting is that they're also changing the refugee program to try and encourage refugees to settle outside again of the, re the greater region of Montreal, which is great news for us down here in the Beauce because we've got a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of immigrants coming in and, and, and heading straight to Montreal, and we are, are crying for people to come out down here and take up jobs and, and set up families and and you know, help us to populate our our, our uh, emptying schools and all you know, so such and so forth. So, it's interesting to see how much of an emphasis the government has put on encouraging people to come out to the regions and settle here. So that those are the basic oh, basic overview of the changes to the other programs. Neat. Well, that's great. This has been really really helpful, uh, Jen. I really appreciate it. So, if an individual says, "Wow, Quebec sounds like the place I need to consider." and they're looking for some direction and, and legal advice, what is the best way to reach you? Well, I would say that email is definitely the easiest way, and so I'll give you my email address. It's G as in George, E-V-E-L-Y-N, as in Nancy, like Evelyn, so it's G Evelyn, take all together, at bbimmigration.com. Perfect. I will make sure that I put that into the show notes. Great. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Jenna. This was really, really informative and um, good luck with, uh, with the bustling immigration work out there in Quebec. Thank you, Mark. And I just want to say I'm a big fan of your podcast. I, I look forward to new episodes uh, all the time. And when I, when I first started uh, looking into like, changing my practice into immigration, your, your podcast was one of the first things people said, you've got to go and, and listen to Mark's podcast. It's the first resource that people kept telling me is the way to go. And I really appreciate the work you're doing. Awesome. That really means a lot. I really appreciate it, Jenna. All right. You take care. Thank you. You too. Bye. I think one of my favorite parts of doing this Canadian Immigration Podcast is just the things that I learn. And by inviting lawyers on, like Jenna, who share their knowledge and experience so freely, we all benefit from it. And I know having come back from our last Canadian Bar Association's um, annual conference, I had a chance to connect with a ton of people who listen to, the, to this podcast and have expressed appreciation just for the knowledge and especially those starting out, um, just the tips and strategies and experience that's shared um, so freely. And I want to express a sincere, sincere appreciation and gratitude to all of the past guests that have joined me on this this podcast. And, you know, there's some wonderful other podcasts out there, Borderlines, and and I, I believe, um, I think Chantelle Deloge, is, they're looking at uh, setting up a podcast too. I've got to reconnect with her. Um, but this one is all about the nuts and bolts, you know, things that practitioners need, tools to give them to to just be um, at a higher level, to practice, to raise the bar. And so uh, thanks to Jenna for taking some time to join us. And thanks to you for, for listening. And uh, I know the beginning of this episode was a little bit um, of a rambling um, therapy session for Mark. But hey, 
that's what you get when you've got um, a lawyer who's all alone here in Lethbridge with uh, no other colleagues that practice immigration. Sometimes you are my firm. You are my colleagues. You are the people that I can, uh, you know, lean on and uh, cry on their shoulder and all of those kinds of things. So thanks for sticking with me. And uh, like I mentioned in the beginning, I am looking actually for another immigration paralegal. So if any of you know of someone who would like to join our office, our, our awesome little office down here in Lethbridge, I'll have them send uh, an email to hr at stringham.ca, and that's S-T-R-I-N-G-A-M dot C-A. Um, I should be joining you guys again shortly here in another episode, if I can get it flipped around here before Christmas. Uh, but uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to go to iTunes and rate this podcast because it actually does bump it up a little bit in um, the visibility um, when it comes to people searching for content related to Canadian immigration. So if you feel so inclined to do that, that would be awesome. And if you have any ideas or you yourself would like to join me as a guest on the podcast, just send me an email to mholthy at stringham.ca and uh, I'd love to have you join me. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I wish you all the best as you navigate this crazy world of Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice. Oh, Canada, greatest country in the world. We want to share the richness of your soil. Yeah.